to today, we've been in the series called Tis the Season. And uh, today we're going to talk about Tis the Season for Joy. Now, just um, it happens that we have joy in our church. Joy Blackburn seemed like they're by our husband, so we do have our own joy uh, here. I don't know if you've met Joy or not. I'm not going to take time for everybody to go back and meet her, um, but you can meet her some other time. Now, when we talk about joy in our lives, we're obviously not talking about that joy because Ray either gets to or has to take her home with him. So, you can ask Ray which one that is. I don't want to know. Um, but we're obviously not talking about that joy. We've known each other for a long, long time. Um, and maybe in your life, you get joy from a variety of places. Maybe the joy that you get, hopefully not making a white Christmas for your joy. If you are, then you are living in the wrong place. You need to migrate north. I personally do not miss it. I can have a white beach that's white sand and have a white Christmas. I could I could be content with that. Um, I would even care to be content with like the brown sand on the west on the east coast. But um, maybe the joy that you get in your life comes from opening presents. Or maybe it comes from lights, or maybe it comes from a variety of different circumstances. So the dilemma then is, if you're banking on joy that comes from circumstances, what happens when those circumstances change? So you might in the last present, or you've watched your kids open the last present, and now you, you're gathering up all the paper and all the trash, and now you have stuff to put together. Right? I'm so glad that for the most part my children are beyond the age of me having to assemble something. Um, yes, because my method is probably similar to yours, similar to yours. You set the box up on the coffee table and you look at the picture. And that's how you figure out. Instructions are a last-ditch um, thing. Those are in case of emergency. So, the joy sometimes disappears quickly if you're banking on circumstances to give you joy. Or maybe it's people. You get joy from being around people. Well, the, the difficulty in that is you are people, too. And we all know that you are not always a joy to be around. Like I am. I'm always a joy. I'm always positive. I'm always uplifting. Right, Melissa? Amen. Yes. So, Sometimes we try to find joy in places where it, it, it will be in short supply. Well, there's pain in the world, there's difficulty in the world. And so today we're going to talk about joy, um, specifically from the message of the angels. When they show up in the night sky, one angel shows up first, and, and this is what he says to the shepherds who are in the field. Don't be afraid. Now why do you start there? We'll talk about that in a minute. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The angel says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, as we've talked, I'll, I'll repeat this idea for why perhaps there was fear, because the angels didn't show up all the time. It wasn't like they saw TV commercials all the time with the angels in them. As a matter of fact, for hundreds of years, they had no experience with angels in their culture. 
They had no experience with the hearing the voice of God in their culture. There were no prophets in their culture. All they knew about angels and prophets and hearing the voice of God was stuff they read about in history books. So it wasn't like God showed up like he did in the days of Moses and, and talked and you know, they didn't have a prophet living in their town that showed up and said, hey, this is what the Lord God of heaven wants you guys to know. They had no experiences like that. And so, up until Mary and Joseph, these shepherds see this heavenly being show up in the night sky, and there's a good reason to be afraid. Okay. Now, probably in our context, here's what we have here when we hear God say something. Because um, we don't have those experiences either. So when God shows up in our lives and says, okay, you need to stop doing that and start doing this, that's a reason for fear. God's going to ask us to change, and we don't like change. We like comfort, and we like convenience. And even if the remote control is not where you left it, there's going to be hell to pay. Right? So we are so addicted to ease and comfort that when God shows up in our lives, whether it's through Scripture or for, through our relationship, and, and we, we hear and we feel God speaking to us about being obedient, we don't like that. And that's a place for us to be afraid. Now, some of you, perhaps, um, this is the first time you've ever been here. Or maybe this is the time of year you go to church because it's Christmas. And we are so glad that you're here. And we just love the fact that you've chosen to be with us. Um, I promise you today you're going to hear something you're not going to like. <laughs> you're just not. Um, I understand that my job is to not make you feel comfortable. You probably get that everywhere else. My responsibility is to say, this is what the Bible says. And it makes me uncomfortable. And it makes me squirm a little bit. And it makes me go, stop. God, I don't have to change. I don't like that. I wanna I like my rough edges where they are. And God begins to knock those off. I rebel against that. I don't know, I like my rough edges. It's taken me forty two years to get those rough edges. I've put a lot of time and energy in those. Let's leave them be. And God says, No, see, because the reason you have Christmas the part of that in your life is that you're to be conformed to the image of Christ. You can't be conformed to the image of Christ with all your rough edges. So I go into that, like possibly you do, kicking and screaming and unwilling. I uh, no. God, is there a plan B? Really? That's something that's less painful on my end. And so there are times where maybe you're like me that because you derive joy from all different kinds of places when those circumstances or things change, you find there is significantly less joy in your life. Sometimes it's because you rebel against the rough edges being knocked off. Sometimes it's because people are disappointing. Does anybody know anybody that's disappointing? They take a quick minute to look around. Or just look up here. Yeah. So the angels show up and say, don't be afraid. Because there's plenty of reasons to be afraid when God shows up. There's far more reasons to be excited when God shows up. So, 
nice paint job. You're a whitewashed tomb, right? And you look very nice and clean on the outside. But just like any tomb, on the inside, it's dead men's bones. That's what Jesus said about religious people. God, I, I can't tolerate, I can't accept in my life that I just look nice on the outside and I use right church words and I appear to be religious, but on the inside I'm wretched and I'm done. It's kind of how Jesus or God described people who are religious. So let's, let's, I know it's Christmas time and everybody talks about religion. Let's kind of run away from religion a little bit. Okay? So he doesn't offer any of those things. He says, this is the thing of great joy in you. And the, and the, the concept of joy shows up in Jesus' life in several times. Specifically in the Gospel of John. The first we're going to look at from the mouth of Jesus now, if I were to ask you, somebody tell me the Lord's Prayer. Some of you, and I know at least one of you, would say, Our Father, who art in heaven. Right? Well, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy. And we know, we know, we know. Even if you've been in this church for any length of time, you know that is not the Lord's Prayer. It's not. That is the motto prayer. Now, when I get to hang out with any people, and I stand in a circle with them, and they say, okay, let's pray. You know me well enough, I'm thinking somebody's going to crack one out. Right? Somebody's going to say, all right, Father God, that, that's, okay. When, when I'm with them, and they say, well, let's pray, we're all in the hands of a bunch of us, and they're going, um, I'm not, hey, hey, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, God, I mean, hey, God, excuse me, you a lot. I'm not, hey, 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 hey. I just have to have some fantastic friends who are. And so they are in their culture sometimes. So when I stand with them and they say, well, let's pray. This is what they pray. They pray the model prayer. That's what that is. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's the model prayer. The disciples ask Jesus, teaches how to pray. He said, okay, when you pray, this is stuff you need to say to God. Call God holy. Honor him. Reverence him. Give him the glory and honor he is due. Confess your sins to him. Right? Asking for stuff. That's what the model prayer teaches us. Okay, you want to find the Lord's Prayer, you read John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is broken into three parts. Jesus prays for himself. Isn't that fantastic? That Jesus, the God of heaven, according to John chapter 1, Jesus created everything that was ever created. Jesus created it, according to John chapter 1. Okay. So that same God prays for himself. Okay, people ask, well, you know, it's okay if I pray. Well, yeah, it's okay if you pray, pray for yourself. You need to pray for yourself. Because you know the junk you struggle with more than anybody else knows it. Pray for yourself, absolutely. I'm not saying there's a lot of wisdom in praying that you win the lottery. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, yeah, we need to pray for ourselves. Jesus did that. Jesus prays for himself. He prays for his immediate disciples. He also prays for us. That's what John chapter 17 is. John chapter 17 is literally the Lord's prayer. It's Jesus praying. So Jesus praying to the Father, talking to his Father, he says, I am coming to you now. By the way, John chapter 17 is just a very sh- few short hours before Jesus is crucified. So he's in the garden and he's praying, and this is stuff he's saying. Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. So that they, meaning his disciples who are right around him, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. 
circumstances which change all the time. Not the level of comfort, not what makes them feel happy and warm and fuzzy, but they need my joy inside of them. You understand the difference? If you're banking on an external source for your happiness and joy, what happens when that external source changes? You're going to have a hard time finding joy. You're going to have a hard time finding peace if you're banking on circumstances, if you're banking on somebody else, if you're banking on a bank, if you're banking on anything other than the God of heaven. Jesus says, God, they need my joy inside of them. So you understand then that the only way somebody can take joy from within you is if you let them. And there's always going to be people in your life who are willing to take your joy away. Now, they can't force their way into their heart. They can't manipulate circumstances to get in there. It's only going to be if you let them. So why don't you let them? Why don't you let them? And if Jesus did all of this to bring joy into your life, why would you let somebody, some human, take it away? If the God of heaven humbled himself, we're going to read a verse here in a few minutes from the book of Philippians. If the God of heaven came to earth to redeem us, to bring joy into our lives, why would we let somebody else take it away? Why would we let circumstances take it away? Why would we do that? doesn't make any sense when we think of it in those terms, do we? You know, this week you're going to have people come to your house, or maybe you're going to go to somebody else's house, that upon your arrival... You'll be looking at your watch for when you can leave. Right? And you may say to somebody in that circle that's close to you, oh, what time will you leave? Right? Because there's all the rooms are full and there's no place you can go and hide. There's no place. Not on the map, I'll be honest. It doesn't take much incentive for me to go nap somewhere. I can take a nap right now. Could you finish this morning? I got notes. Um, you read my hand, right? Um, you know, you can't get away. You can't. So there are going to be people in your life this week, this holiday season, that aren't your favorite people. That's not. And you know that you are somebody else's least favorite person. That's okay. We are, we are all different people, and God delights in us. God did not make us all cookie-cutter. We all have different personalities, different tastes, different likes, all that stuff. That's one of the fantastic things about humanity is that God made us all different. Right? Could you imagine if we were all the temperament of Deborah Jerry? Oh, my goodness. Deborah's sitting right up here. Am I right? We'd kill each other. We would. Now, it's like if we were my temperament, we'd kill each other quicker. Right? Because there'd be this little, we'd be laughing while we were killing each other. I don't know, I mean, it'd be hilarious. But we would, there'd be a short supply of grace and mercy and empathy and, you know, we'd just be hateful. Man, we'd kill each other before the sun went down. God would be going, man, all these people be up here. Um, what happened? Um, I can only speak for my salvation. You understand? I, I don't know where you're going. I know where I'm going. Um, Jesus, praying to the Father, says they need 
inside them, not based on circumstance, not based on ease or comfort, not based on getting what we want, but they need my joy that's inside them. So the next verse we're going to look at gives some insight into that. It's also from the mouth of Jesus from John chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, he's talking to his disciples. He says, the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And if there is nothing else in this verse, that is, um, that is devastating. And I don't mean devastating in a negative way. That is overwhelming. Jesus says to his disciples, he says to us, I love you like a father loves me. It's inseparable. It's unchangeable. It's as, it is without measure. It is without depth. It is without height. Jesus says, I love you like dad loves me. Nothing can change that. Nothing can separate us from that. It is forever. Jesus says, the same way the Father loves me is how I love you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. How do you remain? By being obedient. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, you remain in His love. I have told you this. I have told you what? I have told you the link between obedience and love. I am, I am telling this to you. That you show that you love someone by obeying. You show that you love the Father by obeying. I show that I love the Father by obeying. Is what Jesus tells them. So he is, he is, he is making a connection between, you can't say you love God, but you don't do what he says. That's his connection. He's not talking about salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying if you don't obey God, you can lose your salvation. So let me cover that very quickly. Once you come to faith in Christ, you say to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I, I accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross to for my sins. I want him to be my Savior. When you pray that, and you mean it with all your heart, I don't mean you repeat something that somebody else said, like the Pledge of Allegiance. I mean that is the heart condition you come to. Nobody can take that away. Let me just give you a couple of easy understanding, easy verses to understand how fun, without giving a bunch of theological thought. Jesus says to Ryle, um, literally, um, Ryle, if you come to me, I will never turn you away. I will give you everlasting life, is a term he uses. Everlasting. How long does that last? Forever. So if God, if Jesus comes to Ryle and says, I'm going to give you everlasting life, can Ryle ever get away from that. It's going to last forever. Forever. Okay? So this same Ryle, who is a moron, he gave his life to Jesus when he was eight, and he made a bunch of mistakes after that. Right? Bunch of sinning after that, like all of us. Jesus died on the cross how long ago? A couple thousand years. When Jesus died on the cross a couple thousand years ago, did he know everything Ryle was going to do? Right? God tomorrow is in heaven seeing what Ryle's going to do tomorrow and go, are you kidding me? Really? No. So when Ryle sins, the blood of Jesus covers that. That doesn't mean that Ryle will be a bigger moron. That's not what that's about. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross knowing everything Ryle was going to do, and he died for him anyway. 
Jesus says, anybody who comes to me, I will never turn anybody away. I will give them everlasting life. He uses the word everlasting. He uses the word eternal. He uses all that kind of stuff. He says stuff like, you're in my hand and I'm in the Father's and no one can take you out of my hand. Theologically, we call that the eternal security of the believer. Once you have Jesus in your heart, he is there forever. You are God's child forever. Even my daughter sitting right back there, she will always be my daughter, even when she doesn't want to be. Even we're at a chorus concert and she introduces me to her boyfriend. And I say, it's nice to meet you. Here's two things you need to know. One, girls are crazy. They're, they're crazy all the time. And crazy doesn't leave when they get older. Right? So girls are crazy all the time. They, they don't grow out of crazy. They grow into crazy. They're going to be crazy their entire lives. That's what you need to know. The second thing you need to know is whatever you need to hurt, I'm going to do to you. That's true. That's exactly what I said to him. And I said, so if you make her cry, I'm going to make you cry. That's true. You call out and you miss what you ask him. And he's looking at me like, you have lost your mind, old man. And I'm like, that's right. Out of all the things I've lost, I miss my mind the most. Okay. So, um, no matter what, even when she doesn't want to be my daughter, she will always be my daughter. She can change her name. She can be emancipated or whatever the legal. It doesn't mean she's not my daughter. Do you get that? Okay, there's, there's a reason why God uses relationship terms to talk about him and us. There's a reason he talks about sons and daughters and him being the father. Because once we are his child, we are his child all the time. Even when he looks at us and goes, Really? That's, that's what you're really? Because once we are born into this family, we're there. We're stuck. We're hip. He's ours and we're his. So when Jesus talks about the connection between love and obedience, he says, I have told you this. I have told you this connection between love and obedience. So that, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. That's the second time we've, talked, we've heard Jesus say that my joy can be inside you. And your joy may be complete. It's easy. You know, by this time, stand in your children. By this time, Emily, what's your stand on Santa Claus right now? Okay, alright, so just have anyone, I didn't want to speak inappropriately. You know, by this time, some of you have gifts under a tree. Sure. This, you know, some gifts come from Santa Claus, some come from Mama and Dad, some come from Grandma. May get that right. Hopefully, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, buddy. Um, so, um, you know, we're, we're in a season where it's devastating right now. We'll pray for you up front. Um, it's easy to get caught up in the commercial of Christmas. It's easy for kids to get caught up in the commercial of Christmas and, and tearing open gifts just to not even look at it, but it kind of opened it up. That is so easy to do. And unless you, as the parental figure in their life or model for them, unless you teach them appreciation, unless you teach them gratitude, unless you teach them what real joy 
just have to be intentional about knowing that this is about Jesus. And I don't know how you bridge Santa Claus and Jesus. I don't know. Because we never did. I mean, our kids always knew the, the deal. Um, we did just go to school and educate everybody. But they knew to get it. So, you know, I, I don't know how you do that. But you have to bridge that gap and say, okay, this is about Jesus. Our next verse in Matthew sets up really the rest of our thought. She'll give birth to a son, and you give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. We'll talk about what that means in there. All this took place to fulfill the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So let's look at names here very quickly. When she says his name will be Jesus, well, why is that? Okay, Jesus is, is Greek um, for Joshua. Joshua, or Yeshua, means Lord saves. So when the angel shows up and says, you're going to call this child Jesus, they knew, okay, well, that means this. So that's why, when you read the scripture, when you name him Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. The word Jesus was Greek for Joshua, which meant, by definition, the Lord saves. Christ means Messiah, Emmanuel means God with us. So this is a new phenomenon that's happening in their generation. They've never experienced this before. But the fact that the God of heaven, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that, that Moses saw, the God that rained fire from heaven for Elijah, that God is now going to live among us. We will not need a prophet any longer to come and tell us what that God says. We, we do not need a priest any longer who's going to show up in the temple once a year and offer sacrifices for all of us. The God of heaven will now live among us. So what's in the name? Our very last words we're going to look at is from the book of Philippians. And, the book, and this little section here from verses 5 to 11 really does give us the life of Jesus in a very compact place. Your attitude, Paul says to so the Philippians, he says your attitude, the way you look at life, should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Meaning that Jesus never felt that by coming to earth as a human, he was going to be less God. He never felt he had to hold on to a throne of heaven, but made himself nothing. So the angels say to the shepherds, you're going to go into Bethlehem and you're going to find in a barn laying in a feed trough this baby who is the Messiah. Can you understand that on Christmas morning a bunch of other babies were born? Let that sink into you. In Bethlehem that night there were probably other babies who were born. I don't know if their names were Yeshua or not. Hey, Zeus lives across the street from us in my neighborhood. He really does. When they moved in, my kids came home and said, you're not going to believe it goes across the street, Jesus. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's a sign of the end times. When Jesus moves to Hebron, I'll be 
at Sam Hospital. That's we 50 babies in that ministry. I, I find it so encouraging that God is so specific. He tells the shepherds through the angels, go to town. Here's where you look for. This is what you're going to find. And everything is as, as they were told. The shepherds go into town and they do find exactly what God said. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So we have Christmas. The God of heaven left that place to come to live with us. Not in a palace, not in the finest hospital, but in abstract poverty. And an outcast, not with fanfare and not with a parade. There were no articles in the newspaper on Kerry and Rogers' refrigerator. When Ryder was born, this is what the article says. Oh boy. Right? Oh boy. Now I saw that, I'm thinking, not only did somebody write that, but an editor said, yeah, print that. Oh boy. There was nothing like that for Jesus. Nothing. Born into obscurity. He became us. Not just as a baby, but as a human being. Lived for 30 some odd years with us. Knew what it was like to suffer. Knew what it was like to be hungry. Knew what it was like to be alone. Knew what it was like to have pain in his life. Knew all of that. So when we are tempted to think that nobody gets it, nobody knows what it's like to be me, that Jesus does. Absolutely. Shortest verse in the Bible is why? Because his friend died. Lazarus died. When they came back to tell him the news, he cries. He sobs. Gordon Weft is not like Gordon Weft is like when I babysit Ryder. That's what that's like. He's all slobbering and snot on his nose. Like, did you wipe your slime on your sleeve? It's like God made long sleeves. You can wipe your nose on it. And then I'll put it down and try to watch a movie. He wept. He knew what it was like to suffer loss. But the last part of this section. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, no, let's stop. I won't read any more of that. Stop reading. I'll leave this train. So he not only humbled himself to be born in poverty as a baby. I really want you to get that. I want you to get the fact that the life that he chose to come into was not comfortable. It wasn't easy. It was difficult. He worked as a carpenter. Now, by that, um, he, he made furniture, tables, oxen, a yoke for oxen, that kind of stuff. And had this big, nice workshop. He, he worked with his hands every day. That's my work. He knew what it was like to be us. 
therefore. What do you mean by therefore? Okay, he humbled himself, took the form of a servant, he came into humanity, he did all of these things. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of, say it with me, at the name of. Say that one more time, at the name of. Now you understand why GD or Jesus Christ is not acceptable. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Mary and Joseph in a stable with the smelly animals are told, here's what you name him. And so Joseph names him Jesus. Less than... 50 years, 60 years later, Paul says, at the name of Jesus, everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow down. Not in the sale of Macy's, not in traffic on Mall Road, not with a bunch of presents under a tree that has its roots in and Druidism. Um, at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. We are a couple thousand years removed from a baby being born in a manger. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, we have a clue what that was like still so far distant and so far removed. And so, it has to be delivered on our part that that is the event that captures our attention. It won't be by accident. It won't be by chance. Um, that we have joy in our lives. That we are intentionally focused on the God of heaven humbled himself to live like we live. And eventually died on the cross to redeem us. To become the Messiah. That focus in your life will not be by accident. That focus in your life will be the source of real, authentic, lasting
is directly related to the God of heaven. Leaving that place and coming here to be with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of heaven. We thank you that through Jesus we have joy in this life and have hope for heaven when we leave this world. Father, we thank you so much for this time that you are able to capture our attention. We thank you for this season. Father, we understand that this season, um, it's easy to think about Jesus. And it's at the same time harder because of all the stuff going on. So, Father, help us this week just to take those simple, quiet moments to reflect, to focus what Christmas was really about. Father, you are good and we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.